especially in 1 Corinthians 11, 10 and 11 this morning. At the time when Quirinius was governor of Syria, a man and his betrothed journeyed from Galilee to Bethlehem in the blackness of night, perhaps unaided by the light of, perhaps aided only by the light of a candle. Joseph laid eyes for the first time upon the face of the son of David. And the angel had told the young virgin Mary that she would conceive in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the child born to her would be God's own son. He would sit on David's throne. He would reign forever as the king of all the world. That night was the birth of the king of kings. Kings command. And throughout his ministry, Jesus of Nazareth issued many commands to the crowds, to the religious authorities, to his followers. Surely all of his commands carried in them the authoritative will of the king of kings. But there was one that he saved for last. In Matthew and Mark and Luke. The last command Christ issued before he found himself alone in the garden on the path to the cross was this. Take, eat, this is my body. Drink all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. It is the will of the son of David, the king of kings, the Lord of glory, the son of God, that we partake of the Lord's supper. What is the Lord's Supper and why did Christ command us to partake of it? The Lord's Supper is a visible ordinance. There, are, there is visible bread. There is a visible cup. It is eaten by a visible people. Like baptism, it occurs publicly, visibly. Anyone who wants could walk in the door this morning and see us do this. But the ordinance itself is not the main thing. It isn't that Jesus Christ wants us to look really hard at the bread and the cup in our hands and think about them. It is that in the bread and the cup, he wants us to see something beyond them. They are emblems of something far greater, something far more real and something that is invisible to us and to this world. The bread and the cup are emblems of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by issuing to us the command to eat and drink, Jesus was directing us to look into that invisible world. And what did he want us to see? He wants us to see four things. The Lord's Supper beckons us to look in four directions to see the gospel made visible. Most of us are aware of the normal procedure for the Lord's Supper. That procedure is common to Christians because Jesus Christ himself gave us the procedure in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. So let's read that. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that 
The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper looks back to the night in which Jesus was betrayed. It's a historical event, as real as any event, any event recorded in any history book. The first Lord's Supper was celebrated that night, and Paul exhorts us here to do it just as Jesus did on that first celebration. In that first Lord's Supper, the procedure would have been familiar to the apostles. They were celebrating the Passover meal that night. It was a meal that looked back to God's act to deliver Israel from Egypt. It was a time to remember when God's death-dealing angel passed over Israel's dwellings as he passed through the land because Israel had applied the blood to the door of their homes. The Passover was always a looking backward to God's act of deliverance in the past. It was a time to remember. And the bread and the cup was passed by the head of the household to the members of the family. And they all ate and drank in remembrance of God's past work of deliverance. But here, in 1 Corinthians 11 and in the Gospels, Jesus changes things a bit. Here, the bread is his own body. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Here, the cup is his own blood poured out for us. His body will be broken the following day. And even so, the bread must be broken. His blood will be poured out just as the cup is to be poured out in the celebration. Both the bread and the cup then point us back not to God's act of deliverance as in the Exodus, as in the Passover, but to Christ's work of deliverance. God's Passover lamb. They point us back to remember him. And that's what Paul says here. Do this in remembrance of me. In the Lord's Supper, we look backward. It is time, it is a time to remember the death of Christ. And we do it in remembrance of him. There are two things that we put together in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is, first of all, a memorial. It is looking back. It is remembering. It is an event that reminds us of something that occurred in the past. We eat it to remember. Remembering is something that takes place in our minds. It is an act of our minds to remember. But the Lord's Supper is also a memorial to something that occurred in the past, but we remember it not only with our minds, but also with our hands. It's something that we act out. It's not simply that we recall the event that occurred nearly 2,000 years ago. Instead, we repeat that act in symbol. We break again the bread. We pour out again the cup. 
We eat it once again, remembering the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ once again. It is a memorial meal intended to point us back to an historical event, to recall it to our minds. But the very act of recalling is something that we perform ourselves. We act it out again. It is an enacted memorial. Why would Christ require that we enact this memorial? Is it not sufficient merely to remember? Why must we do it again? First of all, Christ calls us to enact the memorial because it is intended to call to our minds again the breaking of the body of Christ and the pouring out of his blood. But there's another element to the memorial than simply a remembering. And that is that we eat the bread and drink the cup. Not only do we remember the historical event by breaking the bread and pouring out the cup. That's what occurred 2,000 years ago. But in the enacting of the memorial, we eat the bread and drink the cup. We're not finished when the, cu- when the bread is broken. And we're not finished when the cup has been poured out. The bread is broken and the cup is poured out so that we may partake of them. And this partaking is in the shape of a meal. Meals sustain our physical life. This meal, the eating of the physical bread and the drinking of the physical cup, is an enacted memorial of the death of Christ, and our participation in it makes public our faith in these events and this person from 2,000 years ago. Our participation shows that we have come to regard that event and the person that we are remembering. We have come to think of them as the source of our spiritual life. There were many criminals who were crucified upon Roman crosses. Their bodies were broken. Their blood was poured out. But their death is never remembered. And it certainly is never offered to any other in the form of a meal that nourishes life. But in the Lord's Supper, the one crucified offers us his broken body and shed blood once again in symbol form. It is offered in the form of a food that nourishes our physical bodies. It's offered to us in this way to show the effect of receiving him. Not only do we look back to a historical event, but we also eat his flesh and drink his blood in symbol today. The Savior died, but the benefits of his death remain on the plate and in the cup. And they do not nourish us until we reach out our hands to partake of them for ourselves. Until we receive the benefits of the event. And this brings us to the second place we look at the Lord's table. The hand that reaches out to partake is the hand of faith that receives the benefits of Christ's redemption. In faith, we reach out to partake. And as we do, we look upward once again to the one whose body was broken, to the one whose blood was shed. We look up to him with a renewed faith. Week by week, we reach out again in renewed faith in Jesus Christ. And we dramatize and enact that faith as we reach out our hands to receive the bread and the cup. We reach out as hungry sinners 
reaching for the bread of life to satisfy our souls. We reach out for this bread and no other, the bread that symbolizes the body of Christ. We have turned aside from all other breads which claim to satisfy our souls. We have turned away from them in repentance. And now the heart that drives the hand to reach out for this bread in the Lord's Supper, that heart is a heart of repentance and faith. And the hand makes that repentance and faith visible in the act of partaking of the Lord's Supper. So internally, as we partake, we partake in repentance and faith. We make that repentance and faith visible by coming to receive this bread and this bread alone. The Lord's Supper beckons us to look upward again in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we make that ongoing faith in Him visible as the source and spring of our life in Him. We make our faith and repentance visible as we enact this memorial. And so the Lord's Supper is an act by which we look up in faith to Christ once again. But the Lord's Supper is not simply our looking in faith to Him. Because Christ told His disciples, look with me at verse 25. He took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Covenants are agreements between two parties. Where one party promises to provide for the other party a specific list of benefits. And covenants are typically enacted in blood. By which the one party promises to pay with his life's blood if he does not provide the specific list of benefits that he has promised. The new covenant promises benefits such as forgiveness of sins. The Holy Spirit who gives us life. A restored relationship with God. These are the benefits that God promises to us in the new covenant. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. By pouring out my blood, I am committing myself to you to provide for you all the benefits of redemption that God has promised to you. I myself will make good the covenant. I will bring to you the benefits of the redemption that God has promised. And Jesus tells his disciples that he seals his covenant and all its provisions to them with his own blood by the pouring out of his blood. And thus, in the Lord's Supper, when we reenact the pouring out of his blood, we hear Christ recommitting himself to us to provide for us the benefits of redemption. In the Lord's Supper, we hear Christ affirming his covenant to us once again. He offers us his shed blood, poured out to bring us the new covenant. Blood shed to seal the new covenant promises to us as sure and certain. They are as certain as the blood of Christ has been poured out. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we hear his commitment to keep the covenant and to pour out its blessings upon us. And so, in the Lord's Supper... We look up in faith again to Him, renewing our commitment to Him. We act out that recommitment of ourselves to Him by partaking of the bread and the cup. And we do it in the presence of others who witness it. 
And in the Lord's Supper, we hear Christ recommitting himself to do for us all that God has promised in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. We partake of the Lord's Supper. And in partaking, we look into the eye of Christ as he looks into ours in a gaze of mutual recommitment, a gaze of mutual love and fellowship. And so the Lord's Supper beckons us to look upward to our Lord, to hear him reaffirm his love, his commitment and his promises to us to bring us the benefits of his death. And we look upward to him to reaffirm to him our commitment to him, to reaffirm our love and our trust in him and in him alone for these benefits of redemption. And this is what Paul is saying to us in 1 Corinthians 10. Just look back at verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, Christ blessed the cup, the cup of blessing that we bless, that would be the cup of the Lord's Supper. Is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Here Paul is speaking of individual Christians who participate in the Lord's Supper. That act of eating brings them into participation. The word is fellowship. The eating of the bread brings one into fellowship with Jesus Christ through his body and his blood. It brings us into renewed fellowship with him as we hear his new covenant promises renewed to us and we recommit ourselves to him alone as our Lord and our Savior and partake with a renewed faith. And so for this reason, we will read the new covenant enacted in the blood of Christ in connection with our partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning. And it is our duty as we hear the promises extended to us once again Sealed to us by the pouring out of the blood of Christ. It is our duty to respond to that new covenant with renewed faith first before we partake of the table. And our confession of faith outlines our common understanding of the gospel of the new covenant and how we come to partake of its gracious provisions by faith alone, uh, by, by grace alone, through faith alone. Our confession of faith outlines our understanding of how we are going to make that visible in the structure of the local church. And so we will think of these things, the new covenant, our confession of faith, as we together partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. And this understanding of the Lord's Supper brings us right up to the brink of the next place we are to look at the Lord's Supper. We're to look backward. We're to look upward. 1 Corinthians 10, 17, the next verse, gives us the next place we are to look. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. What is Paul saying here? In verse 16, he taught us that the Lord's Supper is our communion or fellowshipping with Christ through faith as we each receive the bread and the cup poured out for me. It is my fellowship with Christ in the Lord's Supper. But if all of us are fellowshipping together with one Christ, committing ourselves afresh to one Christ, finding our life in one Christ, in the one loaf, 
That fellowship with Christ creates a fellowship between all of us. All who eat. And Paul's point here is clear. Eating the Lord's Supper, the one loaf, joins the many into one body. And this is a question that's been before all of us up to this point. At what point do many Christians cross the line into from we all, from the many, into the one body? Does God even intend that we cross that line? Does he intend that local churches exist? Obviously, yes, because that's what Christ's apostles did, right? They went everywhere planting churches. Apparently, being a member of the, lo- of the universal church was not enough. God wanted more than that. He wanted believers together as local churches. And that's why the apostles planted local churches. But here's the question. What, what is a local church? And how does a local church, a localized manifestation of the body of Christ, how does that come into existence? Here, Paul gives us the answer. The Lord's Supper when received with faith in Christ, is a recommitment of ourselves to Christ. But it's impossible to commit oneself to Christ and to not commit oneself to his people also in that very act. You cannot be part of Christ, but not be part of his body. The Lord's Supper pictures our being joined to Christ. It makes that invisible process visible as we break the bread. As we pour out again the cup that was poured out to enact the new covenant to give us the spirit. As, as our, by faith, we once again receive him as our spiritual meat and drink. But here's what Paul is saying here. When we enact visibly that invisible process by which we've been joined to Christ, when we make that visible by these symbolic elements, we who participate in that enactment Become one body in Christ, one visible body in Christ. When we enact that invisible process in this visible world with visible bread and a visible cup, the act of eating that one visible loaf creates one visible body of Christ. As we all partake of the one bread, Paul says, we become one body. The act of partaking of one loaf is necessarily local for a reason. All the Christians in the universal body of Christ cannot gather to partake of one loaf. It is localized around one loaf. And that tells us that Christ wants us to gather together as local churches. Gatherings of believers who can all partake of one loaf. Now, one note here about this one body that we see in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Partaking of the one bread... We who are many now are one body in Christ. This one body has got to be the local church. It cannot be the universal church, and here's why. If it was the universal church, then eating the Lord's Supper would make you a Christian. It would add you to the invisible universal body of Christ. It would give you the spirit and eternal life. And the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup cannot accomplish that. In this passage, then, Paul can mean only the local church when he speaks about the one body. 
And that tells us then that the Lord's Supper is a local church ordinance. It's something that is observed within the confines of the local church. It is something that is observed that brings many believers into a one body relationship. And it is the thing that continues to bind those believers together into one body. The one body exists for as long as they are all continuing to practice that ordinance regularly. And you are a part of that local body for as long as you continue to eat and drink with them. The circle of who observes the Lord's Supper is the same circle as those who are members of the one body. Because it's the observance of the supper that creates the one body. They are the same group of people. And that means two things for us at this point. First, this means that Jesus Christ commands Christians to join churches. We don't have any option. You must do it. Jesus Christ commands it. There's nothing wrong with Christians getting together for a Bible study. We've been doing that for many months now. But the Lord tells us that if at any point in our Bible study we observe the Lord's Supper together, we who have been many Christians are now one body in Christ. Observing the Lord's Supper crosses a line. The Lord's Supper takes many Christians to another level. It brings them into a new kind of oneness. Yes, they were one in Christ Jesus before they celebrated the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper creates something new. It creates a new kind of one bodiness. It creates a visible one bodiness. It creates a local church. And you can tell who is part of that one body, who's a member of that one body based upon who eats of the one loaf. And Christ expects his people to cross that line into this visible one bodiness. Why? Because he commands us to observe the Lord's Supper. He says, eat the bread, drink the cup. And when you do, you will enter into a new one bodiness that your eating and your drinking creates. He is not content for Christians to be merely members of the invisible body of Christ. He commands us to partake of the table and tells us that when we do, we enter into a new relationship with the other Christians with whom we partake. It is a oneness that those Christians in the Bible study did not share with other Christians before they partook of the Lord's Supper. It is a oneness that those Christians do not share with other Christians who do not partake of that specific one loaf. The command to partake of the Lord's Supper is a command to enter into the one bodiness that the Lord's Supper creates. The command to partake of the Lord's Supper is a command to enter into the membership of a local church, a relationship with other believers that you don't share in a Bible study or in the aisle at Aldi when you bump into that group of five believers that we've thought about together many times. God commands you to enter into this one body relationship. He commands you to partake of the Lord's Supper. Second, this understanding of the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 10, 17 means that partaking of the Lord's Supper is a commitment of ourselves 
to fulfill our obligations to Christ and to his people as members of a local church. The New Testament gives us many one another commands. We have seen that these commands do not govern our relationship with every believer. They, go, they, go, they govern our relationship to other Christians within the circle of the local church. They define the responsibilities that fall upon us the moment we enter into that one body. And by partaking of the one loaf then, as we all enter into this one body together, by partaking of the one loaf, we are committing ourselves to behave and function in a local church as Christ himself commands us to. And we have before us a church covenant that is simply a listing out of those various responsibilities that Christ himself lays upon us in a local church relationship. And by partaking of the Lord's Supper, then we are all entering into this new relationship, this relationship of visible oneness. It's a relationship that Jesus commands us to enter into because he commands us to observe the table that makes us one. And Christ has already told us what obligations fall upon us the moment we step into that relationship. He's told us what obligations we will bear in this new one body. This church covenant is not really anything that any man has made up, though it does draw upon the work of many, many Christians from church history. The church covenant is simply a listing out of the obligations that Christ himself has placed upon anyone who enters into this relationship of visible oneness. The Lord's Supper beckons us then to look around at our brothers and sisters and to commit ourselves to fulfill to them the commands that Christ has left that are to govern local church relationships. And by commanding us to observe the table, he commands us to enter into that relationship with the terms that he has left that define those relationships. Participating in that one body through the Lord's Supper is a commitment of ourselves to fulfill those obligations to one another. We are renewing this covenant each time that we partake of the Lord's Supper. Partaking of the table is, as it were, signing on the dotted line to fulfill to one another the commands that Christ has left to us. We renew our commitment to Christ and his people as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup. And for that reason, we will read our church covenant together this morning. And as we partake, we commit ourselves to one another in a new relationship of visible oneness. You could call that a local church. And we commit ourselves to the terms of that relationship that Jesus Christ has laid out for us in the New Testament. But there's one more place that the Lord's Supper beckons us to look. Listen to these scriptures. On the night before his crucifixion, Christ says to his disciples, Luke twenty-two sixteen, For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until... It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And across the page in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here we are confronted with the fact that the Lord's Supper is just a shadow of something far greater In the Lord's Supper, we look back 
to remember and celebrate the death of Christ. We look up in faith to him once again and hear again his promises of the covenant to give us the benefits of his death. We look around at the visible body that the Lord's Supper creates. But none of these things are yet full. None of them are yet fulfilled. His death was for me so that I would not die and yet daily my body is decaying. At the table, I look up in fellowship with him, and yet my communion with him is broken every day by my sin. The body the Lord's Supper creates is only partial. It's only us. And there's a whole lot more that could join us. It's not the full body of Christ. When will the benefits of his redemption finally and fully become mine? When will the gaze of love and commitment between us and our Savior never again be broken? When will the full body of Christ gather around the table of the Heavenly Father? The Lord's Supper, in calling us to look in these three directions, is actually calling us to look in one direction ultimately. Ultimately, the Lord's Supper calls us to look forward. It calls us to look forward to the time when in the kingdom we will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob around the table of the Father. It calls us to anticipate the marriage supper of the Lamb when He enters into the joy of full union with His bride and their communion will be unbroken and unsullied by sin. It calls us to expect the ingathering of all the saints of all the ages. It calls us to look forward to the completion of the work of God to construct the body for His Son calls us to look forward to the coming of Christ for his bride. It calls us to look forward to the new Jerusalem. It calls us to look forward to the joy of the eternal kingdom and the unending life and the presence of God that Christ died to purchase for us. It calls us to look forward to the descent of the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The Lord's Supper calls us to memorialize the sacrifice of the Lamb of God to bring us to glory. And as we partake of the table, we must partake in hope. Hope that God will soon bring to fullness the new covenant promises that Christ has enacted by the shedding of his blood. This is what our Lord and his apostles have taught us about the Lord's Supper. This understanding of the Lord's Supper prevails in just about every part of the world today, except in the West. Western individualism and relativism have invaded this most sacred of all meals. It has made man the king. And observing the Lord's Supper demands nothing of those who partake today in most Western churches. And the New Testament pushes back against that. It calls us to repent. 
It calls us to leave behind our own individualism. It calls us to abandon ourselves and to enter into the body of Christ. To devote ourselves to the well-being and spiritual good of others, not just ourselves. The Lord's Supper teaches us that in repenting, abandoning our own autonomy, abandoning our self-pursuit, submitting ourselves to one another, submitting ourselves to Christ, in that is life. That is the path to life. Giving up yourself, submitting yourself to Christ, calling upon Him in faith, repenting of sin, submitting yourself to His people, in that, far from creating a death, that is the path of life. Life symbolized in the partaking of yet another meal to sustain our lives for another week until he comes. I've tried to structure our observance of the Lord's Supper here around this theological framework. There's so much that the New Testament connects to our observance of the Lord's Supper. And it's not an exaggeration to say that Christians who do not participate in the Lord's Supper together have no real experience of Christian fellowship in any other place in their lives. This is the foundation of all Christian fellowship and fellowship together with Christ. This is what it means to be part of the body of Christ and what it means to fellowship together in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to enter into renewed fellowship with Jesus Christ again through faith. But it's only truly fellowship if we observe the Lord's Supper while consciously looking in these four directions. This can't be a mindless exercise. And it can't be something that we wonder why we do it. The way we will observe the table today will hopefully call us to look in each of these four directions. In faith in the Son of God. The one who was crucified so that we look back. The one who was raised up so that we look up to our risen Lord in faith. The one who has ascended to pour out upon us the Spirit. And so we look around at the Spirit indwelt community. And the one who is coming again. So we look forward. All of this is a remembering of him, crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again. And the four directions that we are to look direct us to specific parts of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Crucified, risen, ascended, and coming again for us.